My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, an organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is how to stop worrying about what other people think of you with Dr. Michael Gervais. As a sport and performance psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais is one of the world's leading experts on the relationship between the mind and elite performance. Over the course of a 20-year career working with world-class performers and organizations, Dr. Gervais has developed a framework for the mental skills and practices that allow athletes to thrive in a pressure-packed environment. Gervais' influence can be felt across many touchpoints of popular culture. His clients include the Seattle Seahawks, world record holders, Olympians, international acclaimed music artists, Fortune 50 CEOs, and MVPs from every major sport. Dr. Gervais is the host of the popular Finding Mastery podcast that explores the psychology of the world's most extraordinary thinkers and doers. Dr. Gervais created an online masterclass for the mind and co-authored the recently released Audible original, Compete to Create, about how to train the mind. Dr. Gervais holds a doctorate degree in psychology, specializing in sports performance and a master's degree in kinesiology. He completed his PhD under the mentorship of Dr. Bruce Ogilvie, often referred to as the father of American applied sports psychology. Michael, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here with you. Thank you for including me in your passion. It is wonderful to speak to you. I was just saying before the podcast started, have you mentioned this in your bio that you have worked with Olympic athletes and you were at the recent Olympics? I was very envious. It was it was like no other Olympics. I've been fortunate to work across a handful of games. And this one was really unique because of the global pandemic. Um, oddly enough, I don't think people would necessarily go right to this experience, but we had an incredibly rich experience from a relationship standpoint because there was literally, you couldn't leave the team setting. And so we were with an, uh, a team of four athletes and about seven support staff, coaches, and, you know, um, sports scientists. And I'm telling you, like, it was like no other games because it was get to know each other or just be completely isolated. And so it was, it was incredible. I'm just curious, did that add to the pressure or did it help in some way? How did it work? Was the pressure of performance off or was it exacerbated? No, it was the same, but you know, the games are the games and there's two ways that you go into quote unquote big moments and I'll share my bias here, but there's two ways that people go into the biggest pitch of their life, the big boardroom meeting, the big game, the whatever it might be, whether it's sports, arts, or business is that you see that as another, just another opportunity to be your best, or you see it as the biggest opportunity that you've ever had. And so when it comes to the Olympics, it's like, this is the Olympics. And I got to gear up for that madness because it is all time pressure. You know, it is, it is the show. Or you say, no, actually, you know, the, um, the rules don't change. The, the ball still weighs the same. The, you know, the court is still the same size. And so it's what I've grown up doing. It's what I do. And it's another opportunity for me to figure out like how I'm able to meet the moment. And one of the, that, that second strategy is really a Zen approach. This moment is the only moment we have. So I'm going to practice being all of me in this moment. The other approach is very much a, a Western approach, which is, you know, there's drama, there's high stakes, there's pressure. And, you know, we rise to the occasion. Now, 
my, my insight here that I'd like to share is that it's really important that you pick one. It's not so much which one is right or wrong, but choose one that feels right to you. This crosswalks over into business quite eloquently in that the idea that do you see the opportunity, whether it's an interview or pitch or a boardroom or whatever it might be as a big moment or just another moment? For me, my bias is that I want to practice being in the present moment. And that's this moment right now. So this is the moment that I get to practice being fully engaged and present with you. And then I become skilled at doing that over time, that when the other moment arrives, when some people think it's the defining moment, it's just another moment for me. And I love it. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me even keeled, thinking creatively and critically. And, you know, it allows me to be fully me because I'm not run over by the noise, the external noise in the environment. And that's not the case for everybody. Some people like, you know, the biggest show on earth and they love that approach. So the the important nature to answer your question is to pick one. And then to, to really answer your question is that it was exactly the same as all the other games. The COVID and uh, the global pandemic did not alter um, the performance outputs much, but it did affect the support mechanism. So there was a higher stress level with that they had to work through because they didn't have their mom, dad, cousin, aunt. They didn't have their typical support system. And so that was a little bit of a unique um, experience there. And that brings me to your journey on this topic what drove your interest in this topic? I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Do you and your community enjoy stories? Give me a story. Yeah. Irish people love stories. I'll tell you a fun story. Six years ago was the first time I, I took my son to Ireland. We were on uh, in Dublin heading over to um, the West Coast. And we're about halfway through. And, you know, it's a beautiful drive, right? It's just green and castles here and there. It's just, it's beautiful. And my son was... Oh, I guess he's about eight at that time, or maybe a little bit younger. And he says, dad, I could live here. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's cool. Cause he's traveled the whole world, you know, for work, my work is fun. Right. And so he's traveled the whole world with me and he's like, dad, I could live in Ireland. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I I have Irish roots. I identify more with my Italian roots because, you know, that was more the cultural zeitgeist, but I've got some uh, Irish roots in there. And so to get to how I came to be in the space of high performance psychology is that I was a young athlete in high school. We'll just kind of flash forward there is that it was not stick and ball sports for me. And, you know, traditional sports didn't do it for me. I didn't understand how people liked to be yelled at by adults, to be coached by in these artificial man-made rules. I didn't get it. You know, like, what do you mean we got to play in, inside the lines? And <laughs> what do you mean that these adults are like telling me to do something? Like, I, I just didn't get it. So I found myself in action sports. The rules are consequences. If you hesitate, you make a mistake, there's a consequence. If it's skateboarding, you leave a little flesh on the concrete. If it's surfing, you get held under. So I liked that those consequential environments because it was a forcing function to get to the truth of your inner experience how it matches with your external craft. I loved all of that, but I wasn't good at it. (laughs) So I was a good little surfer, but come competition day, I was a mess. And it had something to do with the quote unquote pressure of being judged, being critiqued, fans, not really fans, it was family (laughs) and, um, and judges, you know, that were scoring the heats. And I just was overwhelmed by that. it, It created this, awareness in me, like, oh my God, there is, there's a difference between the way I free surf and the way that I can competitively surf. And it was not my body. It was not my craft that changed. It was just one thing, which was the way I was thinking. So it led me down this path to say, okay, what is this thing inside my head? You know, what, what is going on here? And, and it led me down the science. So does the science behind this, is that the neuroscience where there's an amygdala hijack going on? based on fear or what what is it? So the world of psychology is awesome. It's one of the most beautiful sciences because it's invisible. It's always present. We know it to be true. We know we have a mind, even though no one has ever seen it. 
And so neuroscience is really about the hardware, how we see the electricity, how we see the chemistry, how we see the soft tissue work. And psychology is much more about how does the invisible part of thinking work? How do feelings and thoughts work together? And I'm fascinated by it because everywhere I go, it's with me. (laughs) And if I don't invest in it, I'm walking around with some really buggy software. (laughs) And so, you know, like our parents, they programmed our beginnings of our software. They were the ones installing our operating system, our fundamental beliefs, our a priori, you know, statements, if you will. And, you know, God love my parents, but they weren't great programmers, good people, not great programmers. And then really help us out because then like when we're in the teenage years, our, our friends started to program for us, you know, the way to think and the way to, you know, like, ah, Jesus, what a mess that is for, at least for me. And then pop culture gets in there and they've got an influence on the program. So I think what you're doing and how you're helping people is so critically important because what we want to be able to do is help people become one aware of their inner experience And then two, have the psychological skills to navigate whatever the demands of the moment are presenting. So it's awareness and psychological skills is how I boil down this beautiful science. And it is that awareness, isn't it, of maybe limiting beliefs or something that was projected onto you, someone else's fear, or it could be that you haven't been experienced in in this way before. It's, It's a brand new situation for you. So... You know, nobody in, in my family, for example, has a podcast or has done public speaking to any degree, you know, so it was very new. Look at you, William, right on the frontier. Where in Ireland are you? I'm originally from Galway. I'm living in Dublin now. Yeah, look at that. That, that little Dublin circle is so amazing. But so I was out there with Irish rugby. Oh, right. And, yeah. Oh, my God. What a great group. It was the year that, that you guys won. Mm. Um, it was with coach Joe Smith and I was so impressed. He was so uh, uh, impressive in the way he was leaning in saying, no, no, no. Psychology is really important. Like, and you know, like wanting to learn from, from me, from the States and from, I'm sure other people all, all over the world. And it was super impressive how he did it. So good on Joe. And that brings me to the point of, of team sports. So there are many famous teams who, when they get to the final day or the, the actual final itself, it seems like they folded or they choked or, you know, they've let themselves down to that when the performance happens. And is part of the work then that you work individually or do you work as a collective or is it a bit of both, you know, where you work on your own individual limiting beliefs and then we have to work as a collective? Is it seems to me is, is that they go, don't get someone like you at, at the tail end of the season to get someone like you at the, at the preseason. Well, that's the idea. And so we don't rise to occasions. We fall to our level of training. It's, I mean, I'm so clear on that. There, there might be the really rare opportunity where someone rises to the occasion, but really it's, we fall to our level of capabilities. We fall to our level of training. And if we don't train in a way where we're aware of our own psychology or we don't train in a way to be close and connected to our teammates. If we don't train in a way to be a great teammate, as soon as there's an external threat, we don't come together because we're not trained to do that. And so like, it's really important that you become a great teammate and you become incredibly aware on how to work with your thoughts and your feelings so that you're not run over by them, but you're actually, you know, the dog that's wagging the tail. And so that's, this is why I love the business that you and I are both in is that sport teaches us is a, is a little bit ahead of the, the frontier, a, a little bit ahead of the path on the frontier of human performance, because it's so concrete and so observable that we invest in advance to modern business. So let's call it 15 years down the road, if you will. But right now, modern business is saying, oh, we need help with our mental health. We need help with our psychology. People are, people are waving their arms saying, I am no longer doing the extraction model where you are going to pull the life out of me. And it's a remarkable shift that's taking place. And that shift is going from extraction to unlock. 
So great managers and leaders moving forward are going to understand how to unlock the latent capabilities of people because that's what people want. They want to live with purpose and meaning and they want to explore life in a way where it's like, yeah, this has this, I'm alive. There's vitality. I'm no longer trading the bottom line for said company. I'm not trading my soccer time with my kid. I'm not trading, or sorry, football. I'm not trading my relationships at home for the bottom line at work. I'm not doing it anymore. So we're moving. It's a, like I said, it's a remarkable shift from extraction to unlocking. And in sport, the model is how to help coach and unlock you know, the genius that lies dormant in people. And so we need to work hard, no doubt about it. But we also need to invest in awareness of our inner life and the psychology to be able to adjust. So that that psychology piece and that awareness and that unlocking, can you give us some examples of if I was doing a presentation, what might be going on for me? Is it is there like a failure or fear of rejection? stigma that if I do something wrong like reputational damage like if I'm high up on excitement or anxiety if you're a narcissist yeah you just got to turn the lights on and you're going to be fine so narcissism is one of the only personalities that psychological skills are not effective and so for everyone else there's like it's a gold mine literally a gold mine because we care Anytime something's important, well, let me, let me start over. We've got an ancient brain, thousands and thousands of years old. We've got modern dilemma. The brain has not changed at, a ver- at the speed that we would hope that would be even close to modern dilemmas. So what is our modern dilemma now is walking on stage where the modern dilemma a thousand years ago was the saber-tooth tiger. I actually don't know if that's my timelines are right. And so... Right now, what people are most afraid of is the fear of other people's opinions. That's what's at stake most of the time for people. It's not the um, proverbial, you know, physical danger that we're walking around with. There are dangerous people in the world. There are dark alleys that are dangerous, you know, and, and driving is actually far more dangerous than a dark alley in most, most cities. All that being said is what is pervasive underneath the surface for us all the time is this fear that we're going to get kicked out of the tribe, that we are not good enough. And when when we don't deeply address that, we externalize our power. We give our power to the others. Because if they accept us, if we can dance in the right way, you know, and do the right tricks, and they like us, and they find us favorable, then we get to stay in the tribe. And the reason that is laddered to our ancient brain is because getting kicked out of the tribe thousands of years ago certainly meant death. It was too complicated to figure out how to hunt and gather and feed you know, your family and build a tent and a fire and, and, and. We need tribes to be able to um, survive well, certainly to thrive well um, as well. So, so it's this ancient brain that says, hey, um, you need to find me important for my safety. And that's actually not currently the modern case, but it's the ancient brain that is at play there. So I think it's one of the great constrictors of human performance, which is the fear of people's opinion. FOPO is the the, the term that we use here. And so until we address that, we become whipped around by what they might be thinking of us. And then exactly what you described, William, is that there's a physiological experience that takes place when fear is on board. And we all know what that is. There's that very predictable cascade. Heart rate comes up, a little bit of a tremor, breathing changes, get a little hot under the collar, you know, that familiar sweat down your back, familiar sweat in really uncomfortable places. <laughs> you know, so it's all, all that takes place. And then what quickly goes is like, oh God, they're going to find out. They're going to see that I'm a mess. And if they see that, I'm in trouble. And unless you're a narcissist or you've done deep psychological work where you've got awareness and skills that you can anchor to, that's a tough go. 
It's mm. life is a tough go. I'm not suggesting become a narcissist by any means. I am suggesting do the internal work to create that sense of freedom in your life. And it is totally available to all of us. <laughs> There's nothing scary about it. Sometimes when I'm coaching clients, it's about what do you need to let go of? And it is about sometimes recognizing your self-worth or what you have to value or recognizing your power, whether that's personal or positional. How do you help people let go? Like, what do you do to help them with that? Well, I'll give you an example. I, I was working with a couple of people on this very topic. And it was something that happened to them 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when they were very formative in their, their own identity. And when people were getting feedback or when they were presenting in front of a, a big group, a lot of trauma from their either younger professional cells or school was actually still being played out. The defense mechanisms were still there. And then when they were in the spotlight, they felt vulnerable. And once they start getting the these light bulb moments to go, this is still playing out. I haven't put this to bed yet. This is still playing out every time I step up to my performance peaks. I want to get to how you help them let go because I think there's a good science and art in that. But most of us are working from that early script. Mm. And that early script is not more complicated than what a child could understand. And so most of us are working from our child's mind. Like it's, that is bizarre. We've got this adult carriage. We've got these adult experiences. We've got, you know, part of our adult mind is, is developed, but then the triggers for the threat are really triggers from something that happened at a young age. That sounds so psychodynamic. And so like, I don't know, 1980s, if you will, but until you really get in there, how about it, William, until you really get in there to say, these are my fundamental beliefs. These are the ones, these are the values that I am going to invest in. By the way, values are really important because you just can't write them down and say, these are mine. You have to earn them. There's a tax to them. There's some sort of sacrifice that you make, to be honest. There's some sort of sacrifice that you make, you know, to, to have courage. There's a sacrifice for excellence. These are all values. And so they're not yours until you earn them. And as an adult, we've got the chance to say, listen, this is what I'm moving towards. This is the, the human that I want to be. Wait, hold on. Do I really want to be this human? Yeah, this is the human I want to be. Well, if I really mean it, I got to back myself up. I got to have the right skills to be A, B, and C. And that's what psychology is, the, the, those the skills we're talking about. So all that being said is when somebody gets triggered to feel a threat, when yeah. it's really just an opportunity to go on stage and share some shit you're passionate about, you know, like, so... And this is, we do this in big business all the time. So how do you, how do you help people let go? Like, where do you go with them? I like that you say that there is a cost to it. And mm. sometimes it's work avoidance. So I would ask them, well, what are you avoiding? And they go, well, I didn't want to say it. And then, you know, outcomes, whatever insight. And I like what you say is, are you doing the work? Are you living those values? What you say you are, are you being truly honest with yourself? And, and what is it you need to say to yourself for, I know in, in your article in the Harvard Business Review, uh, which is a, a wonderful article, I must say to our listeners, is wh wh what is the philosophy? What is it the mantra you need to say to yourself in that time when the pressure is on? I, I've, I've done this for myself. You know, sometimes I will frame it in the positive sense. So when it comes to self-talk, is my self-talk put me down a downward spiral or a success spiral? I, I got this, this is my moment to shine or am I triggering myself again? Like that self-sabotage to go, I'm going to mess up. I feel stressed. Whereas basically it's like you were talking about computer programming. It's like an embedded command to get stressed. And now mm. we're going to underperform because that's the way we're talking to ourselves. Yeah. Well, you, this is it. We get to choose. Mm. We get to choose how we speak to ourselves, And if we, if we don't do that work, we end up speaking to ourselves like uninformed. Fill, fill in like any emblem, any person that you're like, that person's crazy. You know, they're wild out there. They're like creatively genius. Like I could never, yeah, you could. Mm. You'd be anyone you want. 
this is the wonderful part of being an adult is that you can co-create and reinvent yourself right now to be the human that you want to be. And it's really inspiring. And for many people, it's so overwhelming that, you know, the narrative is at least in big business that we're working on right now. Um, again, we're taking those practices from sport to business, yeah. just like probably you are. And, and then the narrative is like, listen, I'm tired. Um, the stress and the pace and the speed of the workplace. I get home, I tuck the kids in, barely make dinner, tuck the kids in. And then I got to open up email to start like my second shift and I'm exhausted. So where do you suggest I get this work in? Well, this is where we got to square up with leaders and say, you're going to lose your people, right? You're going to, you're, you're doing a disservice to the human experience unless you carve out time in the day, the work day for them to put in the internal work, not just the external work that, you know, like put in the internal work. So leaders, you have the power to shape the agenda. You have the power to shape how the day unfolds for people from a time block standpoint. And if you are jamming people in with meetings, they are not going to develop and grow in the way that you would hope your friends would grow. And so you have the power to adjust time for people and you have the resources now to invest in the inner life for your people. No longer are people the great resource. That is like a, that's still treating them like a commodity. So people are saying, I'm human and I want to be a human with my leaders and I want to be a human with my teammates and I want to be a human with my direct reports. And yes, I want to, I believe in the shared mission that we're on, but don't see me as a cog in the wheel anymore. And so leaders in the new decade in this upcoming decade will be measured by how well that they can create a sense of power in people, a sense of autonomy in people a sense of agility in people, a sense of flourishing in people. And we get that vitality mix right, results go through the roof. Uh, and it's really fun to be part of those environments. Leaders, this is your time. There is it. Yeah. The world is calling for you to get psychology right. Come on, this is the time. It's so true. There is that element of toxic productivity where we're nearly like we're sweating resources here to get the maximum book you know uh, and value out of it and this is, has been my work over the last four or five years personally for me my biggest learning was less is more who decides so I want everybody on my team to have the founder's mindset that I identify with which is it's not for me it's not less for me it is a deep commitment and alignment I want them to feel the same passion and purpose and meaning about what we could become that I feel. And so I want them to not sacrifice the time with their children. I want them to show their children what it's like to live with passion, to live with purpose and meaning. And at the dinner table say, son, how are you doing? And da, 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 da. And then the son say, dad, how was your day? And I go, oh my God, it was so good. Like, I did that, 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 that. Son, how was your school? You know, and, and, and it was so good that I asked And then, hey, you know, son, this part was hard, you know, for me. And then what was hard for you? Like, yeah, be about it. And so I think that um, that's what I want. And so I want to hear, I want to hear though, when you say less is more, what, what is the less that you're interested in? I think I was maybe not placing enough value on my time where I was spending my time gotcha. and I, I wanted to I suppose spend more time with my uh, two boys and I'm going to tell you a little piece about them uh, later on and it was about self-care so I could show up more for others and I think that was the big learning for me was I was doing lots of articles and I was doing lots of creative stuff that wasn't really my my passion mm. And I wasn't doing enough reflective work for myself, that internal work. And I was kind of going, well, what are the values that I want to, to live by? And then once I got those core values and that core philosophy, philosophy in place, I was very clear then. And then this is the story. I was 
coaching my uh, young son's team. So he's eight now and they needed a sponsor for the jersey. So I wasn't really comfortable putting my logo on it. So instead of putting my logo on the, the jersey, what we decided to do was create values for the team to live by and to play by. So we came up with, and they they came up with two of them. I, I just added the, the other one. It was fun, friendship, and fairness. There you go. Look at you. And when we behave with each other and how we show up, then it's with those values there. And then I have a question for you then. Is if there's someone listening in here, I'm a senior leader and I'm working with my team then, what are the core elements I need to get right when asking about what are the philosophies we should have a team? So if we want to be better people, better citizens in our community, you know, make sure that we're, uh, I suppose, have time for our families that self-care. What are the key questions we need to ask ourselves? I love the question. And I'll do it with a story. I'll answer with a story and then a little science on the end of it is that so Satya Nadella is the CEO of Microsoft. Satya and I had a meeting at about four to five weeks into his new role as CEO. And this was about six or seven years ago. And he goes, Mike, um, love the work that you've been doing. And um, with, you know, in pro sport, I really want to invest in culture with my time here. So, okay. What, how are you thinking about it? He says, I, I just want people to be great learners, you know, and to, to align the purpose of the company with their purpose in life. I was like, oh my God, there we go. Like, this is so good. So we started kicking around some ideas and he says, okay, so, so the, the idea that one of the things that I, I brought to Microsoft and we've trained at this point, they have like 180,000 people. We've trained probably 60,000 of them at this point at about 10 to 12 hours a person investing in their psychology. So working from the inside out. And so that was what I, I shared with them. I said, okay, um, so for that to work, for people that purpose and meaning and to align their purpose with the company's purpose, and he was very clear about the company's purpose, you know, that um, he was going to introduce to the team, to the company. And I said, okay, so what is your personal philosophy? He goes, well, I think it's this, this, and this. And it was really close. It was, I mean, he's really highly aware human amazing he's he does everything he does is around empathy and so we then pulled up and we spent a full day with his senior leadership team to go through the inside out work to identify what the core philosophy that they work from their core values to identify the talk tracks the internal talk tracks that work and don't work to your point you know, we went through a whole mindfulness training, a breathing training and a recovery mechanism so that so that we're taking the best practices from sport on how to recover and bring them into business. Like this is these are the these, this is cutting edge science and best practices so that when you wake up in the morning, more days than not, you've got a sense of vibrance. You've got a sense of vitality and zest in life. And I share that with you as a story, because that's how this works, is that you work from the inside out and then they become great teachers just by the way that they live. And if they also are armed with best practices on how to cascade the trainings to their direct reports, now you get this beautiful, you know, from a senior leader all the way through people becoming animated in the way that they live because they're not whipped around by stress. They're actually have a psychological framework to work well with stress. It starts with the philosophy and, you know, that process of self-discovery, there's a mindfulness component to it. So you become more aware and it doesn't have to be mindfulness. It can be journaling. It can be conversations with people of wisdom. Those are three mechanisms to become more aware. And, um, and then a whole host of psychological skills that they have in their toolbox at this point, but we have to practice them for those tools not to be rusty. You know, if I were to speak right into a senior leader, I'd say, um, one, do the, do the work yourself Two. Um, find a way to be able to cascade that throughout your organization. And that's the, the great leverage that you have to help your business, you know, on that flywheel of, of outcomes is to use the levers that you have. And you have the levers of being able to help people develop and the lever of time to do so. And listen, we have to get stuff done in elite sport. If you don't get it done, you, you're asked not to come back. And so in business, same thing, we got to get it done now. There's, there's no, there's no two ways around that. 
and it's exciting to to get it done. You talk about philosophy statements. I remember a famous team in Ireland, and they play hurling, so that's our national sport that we play with with sticks. There was a team that had fight like dogs as their personal statement. <laughs> this brings me to the question: Is was when you turn up on the day, how do you check that you have a quality? personal philosophy statement how do you know that it works because the last thing i want to do is i turn up to the olympics and then i figure out oh this statement is not working now yeah okay so here's here's like the process is you go to the woodshed and you kind of whittle whittle all the words down in your native tongue to a, a sentence or two that matters to you and when you say it you feel it and you don't have to memorize it like it's some weird thing it's like no this this feels right so it's you don't just crack the exercise in 20 minutes and you you really allow it to hydrate over time you know and so it's one of the things that sati and his team did in our training is that he kind of stopped the day when we got to how to create your philosophy and he looked to his senior leaders and like this is multi-trillion dollar business and he looked at his senior leaders and he said listen we need to know each other I want to know your philosophy. We've got an incredible challenge ahead of us, an opportunity that we're creating. So I want us to know each other. It was a cool moment for the team. I'll tell you that. And so you do that internal work. And when you say your philosophy out loud, if you don't feel something in your throat, if you don't feel your heart skip a little bit. If it doesn't feel true, there's probably some more work to do. And so, and then you go practice it. Every day you wake up and you practice that. And that's, you know, one of the ways that we use mental imagery in business is that seeing yourself being about your philosophy in important moments throughout the day today. So before your sheets come off, there's just a quick little um, imagery work where you see yourself being your very best aligned with your philosophy at the task at hand that you know you have coming up today. And we do that every day. It is a bit like that Napoleon Hill quote. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. I'm not so good with those words, William, but that sounds so good, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. And speaking of words, you mentioned you have a framework then. So is that part of your online program, this framework? So we pulled together cutting edge science and, and wrapped around the best practices for us to be able to share what we do in elite sport and and port that over to business. And those practices are to help people understand that unique intersection of the psychology of high performance and the psychology of well-being. And then from that, we cascade a whole set of practices for people to actually make this world of psychology more visible by putting handles on how to train your mind, how to become more aware and how to have the psychological skills to adjust well, to be about it you know, when it's important to you. And so that, that course is, um, it's about eight hours of training. And what we have inside the course is we've got Olympians that wrap around you to coach you as well. So not only are you getting good science and best practices, but we've got Olympians that are in there that have done it in the amphitheater and they're in there loving you up, coaching you up, you know, helping you and your teams um, take it to the next level. And I think it is that, mind training that needs to happen a lot of people when they think about sports performance that it's a physical training that needs to happen and then this is where the mind training has to come in as well to really make that alignment happen along with the philosophy is that really your approach there's only three things that we can train we can train our craft we can train our body and we can train our mind and world's best are not leaving one of those up to chance I'm not sure why any of us would want to. And so it's mostly been a de facto state that we don't train our mind because psychology had a bad rap for a long time. It was for the crazies. And I say that as a trained psychologist, like I'm not being facetious there. Like that's the rap that it had. And so, but now we've got the extraordinaries across the planet, raising their hand, providing air cover for us to say, no, (laughs) Psychology matters. I'm physically and technically as good as they get on the world stage. And my mind is not where it needs to be right now. And look at Simone Biles. 
look at look at some of the greats in the in the winter games that had some challenges it is incredible what's taking place the air cover is there for us to invest in the mine it's not complicated it really is not it's just a set of practices like effective breathing effective self-talk using mindfulness to develop a greater wisdom about how you work and 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 i think one of the, the big ones here william is is sharing best practices and front-loading recovery so recovery is typically thought of that thing that comes after you know the caboose on the performance train we recover from the exertion of a run you know we sleep after we've been exhausted but world-class performers they lead with recovery they are thinking about and planning their recovery up front. And so we show you how to do that as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. That is one of my biggest learnings of the last couple of years is how do I recover after me giving my all uh, in a performance? And that leads me to question is some people, is it that they're burnt out that they've not been listening to their body and when this anxiety was happening, it could be multiple triggers that are happening at the same time. Like I didn't have enough sleep or I had too much coffee or there's lots of different factors going on. Is there a little bit about that self-awareness that they need to know what are the contributing factors to my performance? That it's it's a holistic approach rather than just physical and mental. There could be skills training or there's lots of different elements. Yeah, fatigue is one of the thieves of potential one of the thieves of performance and joy. And I think most folks are surprised by how much time in elite sport we focus on the application of, you know, the science of recovery. Everyone works hard and well, just about everyone. And, you know, we know that the brain, the body, the mind are intricately linked and we just can't be our best when that interlocking ecosystem is in a state of chronic stress. So to your point about the anxiousness, we want our body to have an alarm reaction when there's something important that's about to take place. We want that alarm. But if we don't recover from that alarm, we have what's called moderate stress, like a time-bound notion here. So alarm is acute. It is instantaneous within a couple seconds. And if we don't shed that, we move into moderate stress. If we don't shed that at the end of the day or a couple of days, it moves to chronic stress. And then from chronic stress, it moves to fatigue, staleness, burnout, early death. And that's just from a good old organism standpoint, like that continually holds true. So if you look at your animal, if you've got a, if you're a pet and if you've got a dog and Somebody comes to the door and the dog raises up and their hair comes up and they're barking and they're like, you know, there's, there's something important. It's a threat to them that somebody's coming into their, into their domain. And then they realize that, you know, it's a, their favorite cousin or something. They're like, it's a, it's a friendly face. Or that person leaves almost right away. By the time the dog takes five steps back into the, into the living room, they've done this very predictable thing. They'll roll their head, their ears will flap a little bit. They'll roll their body, their hair starts to come down. They'll roll their hind corners and then finish it off with a little shake of the tail. And after they're done and their hairs come down, that dog has let go of it. But what do we do as humans? (laughs) We hold on, we start thinking about it. We start getting pissed off or worried about it. And we hold on to that stuff for hours, days, months. And sure enough, we get sick, sick and tired, you know? And so fatigue is one of the great thieves of potential. I would like to ask you about patterns and predictable patterns. And I sometimes help people with routines. So we have these habit loops and sometimes we have a helpful routine before we get into a performance. So you might see, we'll say you mentioned the Irish rugby team at the or a kicker might have a certain routine as they approach the kick to make sure they have the proper technique. And you can see they drop their, their shoulders and make sure they take a deep breath. So you can see these various routines going on. If I'm public speaking, what useful routine would be useful for me to adopt? 
I'm just thinking of our listeners there. This might be a valuable insight. It's a routine that they can practice on a regular basis. It would be a routine that is not complicated, so it's quite simple. And it's a routine that helps them to be fully grounded and present, to feel confident and locked in on the task at hand. So those are the elements that we want to work from. Now, from there, we get start to get creative. And so um, if you've already got a philosophy, it's pretty cool to go back to your philosophy. If you don't have one, it's, it's much harder to do this. If you don't have a breathing practice, whatever breath that you take there will be less effective. But if you practice breathing on a regular basis, and then you're going to do a, a breath there, it will be more potent. It will work better because it's practice. And then um, being, uh, you know, generating that sense of confidence. It's like saying something to yourself to, to get your head to nod up and down to get your body to feel a certain way. And that's unique to the person. And then to be fully locked into the present moment. So I like to use my senses for that. And so I'll listen. I will, I will um, focus deeply on one thing. And I'm trying to go from an internal state of heightened activity to a calm, focused, grounded internal state, then focus my attention externally. And because um, what we want to be able to do is meet the opportunity and the opportunity unfolds, sport happens and life happens outside of us. So we want our, our focus to go from the internal to the external. I love that Zen and mindfulness uh, approach through those breathing practices of that internal state to external state. And then some people might experience what's known as that adrenaline surge where you're getting into your optimal state. And sometimes it's normalizing that to say, you know, this is just me getting into my optimal state. Have you any thoughts on, on that, how to deal with that adrenaline surge? Or maybe I've got that wrong. Yeah, you've got it right there, which is when I feel that system kick on for me, I no longer say that, oh God, something bad's about to happen. I'm so nervous. What's, you know, what's, what could go wrong here? God, I'm not prepared. I don't go into those places. So when I feel that thing kick on, I go, cool. Thank you, brother. I'm talking to my body. Thank you. You're kicking on now. Just not yet. We're still eating breakfast. <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to do the thing until two o'clock. So why don't we just bring her down a little? And so I, I, I'm playful. I laugh with it a little bit. And then I just kind of kick into some breathing. And let's say it kicks back up later. And um, I feel that adrenaline working again. I go, cool. All right. We're ready to do this thing. And so I'm embracing it and I'm loving it. I'm not trying to get rid of it at that point. I'm trying to harness it because what happens when adrenaline kicks on is so does cortisol. Yeah. Cortisol is a neurochemical that is quite agitating. There's a scratchiness to it. That stuff's not going to leave. It takes like 45 minutes to clear that out of your system. It's not going to leave. So get to know it. Know that like you're going to be fine with it. Practice with a little bit of adrenaline cortisol before you go in front of a stage of 5,000 people. And for the first time, you've got adrenaline and cortisol. So get familiar with it. Practice it. And then and say you, let's say that you're kind of caught with your pants down here and you're like, oh God, the adrenaline's rolling. Okay, I'm supposed to love this, but geez, it feels kind of overwhelming. Breathe. So you're not going to make it go away, but you're going to manage it a little bit better and then back yourself. Speak to yourself in credible ways and back yourself. And again, if you're not clear on how to speak to yourself and back yourself up, if you haven't done the work on how to do that, it's, it's really difficult for you to all of a sudden create it on the spot. So that's why we front load our psychological skills training work so that we have sentences and, and, and statements that we can go to that are practiced and they're believable, like they're real. So that's it. It's breathing and self-talk at that moment. Speaking of self-talk, I'd like to share a story with you and our listeners. With that adrenaline surge, I have now reframed this as excitement to say, listen, I am going to be brilliant now today because I have now got this nitro boost. I am going to be on top form. And sometimes when it gets overwhelming, I tap into my inner Yoda, who is my grandmother. And I would just say, what would Nana say to me right now? And what you will see here is I have a band here that I look down on my wrist 
and it's one of her sayings. She has many. Um, one of them is, uh, what's fur you won't pass you by. And then this is a, an odd one. Uh, and it's really about, you know, about other people's opinions is each to their own, like the monkey kissing the cow. So you will notice a monkey just above me here. And she, I gave her that card and she uh, uh, she passed away. I, t- uh, I took the card back. But that reminds me of, you know what? If people don't like me, that's okay. I go back to my family. I go back to my friends. You know, they love me. I have their unconditional support, you know? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Nana's giving you freedom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my inner Yoda. So we are coming to the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. What I'd like to do is give you an opportunity to let people know how they can contact you. You've got a podcast. You've got your online platform. So the floor is yours. William, thank you for being gracious and let me kind of, you know, tell some stories and share some science, like and inviting me into your community. Like, thank you. Um, You're your kindness and your understanding of this is noted. So I appreciate it. And the, the best place is really the Finding Mastery podcast. And so you can find out, you know, all the stuff that we got going on from there. And then the website is findingmastery.net. You can find that, you know, other information there as well. And then on social media. And social media is my name on all the handles, which is at Michael Gervais. And that's spelled G-E-R-V-A-I-S. William, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. I really appreciate your time today, Mike. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with the podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.